Hallelujah, what a Savior. You know, hallelujah means praise to God. And it's fitting as we come here on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered the city and they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's awesome. It's a great song. And this fits our passage today perfectly. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here with us on this Palm Sunday. We're uh, continuing our journey through the book of John. Uh, and today we're covering a passage that could be considered a sad passage. But that's not actually true. Because otherwise I don't think it would be called Good Friday. If it actually had a bad message. But as we talk about the death of our Savior... I just want to open up and say, he came to pay a debt. Now, have you ever had a debt that you couldn't pay? Um, ever had a task that never quit? Anybody tried to have their house cleaned once for all? Um, maybe you owe a debt of gratitude. Someone stepped into your family's life, to your life, and with some great act of intervention you know you'll never be able to pay them back some debts are long term debts but you know no matter what good of or bad a financial shape you're in today we all started this journey on earth owing a debt we could never pay it was a debt of sin and the penalty thereof that we owed to a holy God um, left to ourselves we would never ever see the words paid in full written across that debt we had no ability to pay so it's with that uh, context that I approach the message this morning it's called it is finished it's from John chapter 19 verses 16 to 42 and as you're turning there uh, please start that, flip through your phones, whatever you do. Um, and let me just highlight one thing out of that passage that relates to, it is finished. Those words, it is finished, ver uh, found in verse 30, that Jesus spoke from the cross, actually is only one Greek word, tetelestai. And it was a very common word in Jesus' day. And it really meant several things. It was... The, the completion, the fulfillment of a covenant or a promise. Everything that was owed in that promise was completed. It was also used in the term of an artist. Uh, when they put that final brush stroke. As Michelangelo made the final chip on the statue of David. It was tetelestai. It was finished. I, I doubt if anybody would go up to that statue of David with your chisel and said I think David I think Michelangelo missed a spot and gave it your touch it was finished another way that term was used was a business term and it meant paid in full and they used that whenever a debt was paid off and many people have never had the experience of getting that note from their bank about their house being paid in full or maybe it was a prisoner 
who had served his last minute and across the paper that said he was arrested and put in prison for these crimes and across it would be written Tetelestai paid in full as they released the prisoner this is the word that Jesus used from the cross and it uh, it was a powerful word and we have to understand that debt no longer exists paid in full means there's nothing more to add doesn't it well let's try to review and read this passage with a, with a notion of what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished so let's read starting in verse 16 so then he handed them as Pilate Jesus over to them to be crucified they took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha there they crucified him and with him two other men one on either side and Jesus in between Pilate also an inscription and put it on the cross it was written Jesus the Nazarene the king of the Jews therefore many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew Latin and Greek so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate do not write the king of the Jews but that he said I am the king of the Jews Pilate answered what I have written I have written and then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier, and also the tunic. And now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cat slots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished! And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says 
they shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, I'd like to not cover all of this passage, but cover essentially two questions out of this passage. And I think we should ask ourselves, what was Jesus' declaration to Telestai? It is finished. What was finished? And second, what should that finished work mean for us today? Well, beginning this, we read in verse 35 of this passage, the writer John tells us the reason he wrote these things about Jesus' death. He says, I wrote them because I was an eyewitness. And I know many are not going to be an eyewitness. You're not an eyewitness of that event. But trust me, I was there. This is what I saw. And if you see these things the way I saw them, if you were standing next to me and saw what I saw, you would believe. That's his hope. Is that we would believe what he said. Now, in order to be an eyewitness, let's just take a little journey. I'm going to paint a little picture for you. I want you to picture yourself. Try to do this. Stand next to John. See what he saw. Hear what he heard. Be part of the scene. Because John says, if you do, if you pay attention, these things will change your life. You will believe. And that's what we hope for you today. So let's just paint a quick picture. It's early in the morning, probably near 8 o'clock. The sun's probably just clearing the walls of Jerusalem and the buildings. Jesus has just been handed over by Pilate to be crucified. The Roman soldiers and his persecutors waste no time. They start the process of leading him out to be crucified and give him a cross to carry to the place of execution, which they call the place of the skull. Golgotha. In Latin, it's called Calvaria. Does that sound like anything to you? Calvary. They led Jesus to Calvary. Now, but before they crucified almost anyone, Rome always prepped the subjects. And they've not missed that opportunity here. According to Isaiah 52, 14, Jesus is now a bloody, unrecognizable man. He has been flogged, beaten, crown of thorns. That crown of thorns has been beaten into his head with sticks. And in fact, they said, according to Isaiah, um, it said that he ripped his beard out of his face. Now he's ready for the process. Now he's ready to be crucified. He's already a weak, blood loss, wobbly man. That's why we read in scripture, he didn't make it all the way up to Calvary with his cross. Another man was conscripted. But it's near nine o'clock now. Jesus has arrived. 
according to Mark it says that they crucified him at the third hour of the Jewish day which is 9 a.m. they took large spikes three, estimated to be three-eighths of an inch square and they drove them through his hands and his feet fulfilling the prophecy of David in Psalm 22 saying Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced they raised him up on his cross and put him on display naked, bleeding, wounded it's interesting the first thing that people saw was this sign over his head Rome generally loved to make a scene out of an execution they wanted to set an example so they put a sign over everybody who was crucified saying this is the crime this is the punishment if you do the same this is what you'll get what was over Jesus' head it said that Rome put an inscription like none other that Rome has ever used it was just his name and his title if you were an observer you would have noticed there is no crime listed on his placard it said Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews but no crime probably a first in Roman history what happened next the next thing you hear out of this broken bleeding man is he says father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing that's the very scene that we talked about this is what we talked about in the sense of if they only knew Jesus is confirming they didn't know they didn't know the cosmic crime they were committing but Jesus prayed for them what do you think happened to that prayer do you think God answered that prayer I do and when these men any of them who participated in this cruel event stand before God and if they don't have Jesus as their advocate this is one crime that will not be on the list why because our Savior prayed that it would not be. He was thinking of others even from the beginning. We saw him, the men at the foot of the cross, petty, dividing up cheap clothes. Jesus wasn't a rich man. They were deciding who gets his shoes, who gets his belt, who gets his robe. And when they got to his linen investment, they said, well, it's two, one piece. It's hard to rip that up. And so they cast lots. They rolled the dice. What a great scene while the Son of God is dying on a cross. We got men playing some gambling game at the foot. They missed the treasure. They thought the treasure was in the clothes. They, maybe they thought, hey, this is a robe of a famous guy. Maybe this is the robe. I remember they said they touched the robe and they were healed. Maybe they thought they were getting a healing robe. But the healing wasn't in the robe. The man wearing the robe. They were missing the true treasure which was hanging on the cross. What happened next? He took care of his mother, it said. And then later we read that he forgave the criminal to him who only said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was his great work of faith. That was his great work of service to a holy God. Some of us never get tired of trying to serve to earn God's favor. What did this young man do? Remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now you're listening, you're watching, you're standing next to John. How could this guy go to paradise? He's lived a rotten life. He's hanging on a cross justly. What does Jesus mean? This would be confusing to you, wouldn't it? If you're watching this. 
Well, then something else happened. The great transfer had occurred. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. The lights of the universe went out. It said that at the the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, all the lights of earth went out. The sky was darkened. Nobody could see a thing. What would you have thought? Did you bring your flashlight? There were no flashlights. I don't think anybody would have brought a torch at high noon. Do you? So what would you have thought? I think there's something weird going on here. This is a little different. But would you know what? Maybe not, but you might be deathly afraid. What happened next? The next thing you hear out of the darkness is the man on the cross for the first time in his life on this earth has been separated from his father. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because he was carrying my sin. He was carrying your sin. He had the sins of the world upon him. And God can't look at sin. God had to turn his back on his own son. And his own son was now abandoned in the dark. Beaten. It's interesting to me that it says that at verse 28, the lights start coming back on. The people are starting to scratch their eyes. The darkness has passed. The penalty is paid. And it says Jesus knew something that we don't know. Do you see that in verse 28? Verse 28 says, And Jesus, knowing that all things had already been tetelestai, accomplished, finished. The first thing he said is, I am thirsty. What? That's the first thing? Well, let's let's think about this a minute. I am thirsty. I I think we have to understand that Jesus had just now experienced hell for us. See, after he said, I'm thirsty, and it is finished, the last thing he said was, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. And John records this. He said this with a loud voice. No one on a cross dying can't, they can't even breathe, let alone scream in a loud voice. So he said, this is the most unusual thing. And it's not only that, but he seems to have his right mind. But now he says, I dismiss my spirit. It says, according to John, Jesus gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He dismissed it as, as you would have dismissed an unneeded servant. Be gone. Try that. Try to dismiss your life by just saying a word. I know a lot of people that are in great pain would love to be able to do that. But Jesus is the Son of God and he can do that. And it says that no one took his life. According to John 10, he said that was the case. The Roman cross did not take his life. The spear in his side was not what took his life. His whippings did not take his life. How does his life end? John 10 said, I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. No one, get that? No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative and I have authority to pick it up again. 
You understand, Jesus laid down his life to pay debt of sin. Now, Jesus is really dead, and the Roman soldiers are pretty good at knowing when somebody's dead. That was their business of executing them. It said that in one gospel that Pilate was surprised. How could somebody be dead in six hours? Normally it takes two or three days. But the Roman soldiers confirmed with Pilate, Jesus is dead. Well, if he's dead, he gave his body to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they buried him. Quickly, because remember, when you kill a son of God, you've got to follow all the rules and do it according to the law of Moses. That's why they wanted to break their legs, you know, make sure they get off the cross quick. Because when you kill God, you've got to do it according to the law. So what did we learn when Jesus said, it is finished? Well, let's go. I think there's six things that we can learn, but you need to hear that this cry from Jesus was a jubilant, joyful cry to tell us die. It is finished. And it rings just as loud today as it did 2,000 years ago and surprised everybody in the area. Clearly what was finished was not Jesus. Jesus did not say, please note, I'm finished. Or I'm finished. I'm dying. No, none of those things. Because he did not say, well, I've gone as far as I can go. You'll have to do the rest. That's not the, that's not the meaning here. It is finished. What is it? I think it's important for us to know that because it'll change our life. That's what John said. John said, if you learn and read this and observe this and be that observer that watched this happen, you know it will change your life and you will believe. So let's go. When he said it was finished, I think what he said first was that every promise and every prophecy in God's word had now been fulfilled. Every promise and every prophecy from first to last was completed. Now, one would say, well, what about all the prophecies? Well, they say there's over, I haven't counted them, but 332 distinct prophecies that Christ exactly fulfilled. Can you kind of ponder the incredibility of that? That one person could fulfill 332 different prophecies made over thousands of years. Well, mathematicians gave it a shot and they said, I don't vouch for this, but they said it was one, the odds of that, one out of eight, four, followed by 107 zeros. Sounds like a pretty small number. Let's just say, to me, it's small enough that only God could make it happen. Okay? This is something that God fulfilled. And how would you do this? I mean, be the guy that wants to say, it's me, it's me. Okay, born of a virgin, how'd you do? Mm. Um, born in Bethlehem, somebody could probably say that. Went to Egypt, could say that. How about prophecies like, kings will bow down before him and all nations will serve him, as in Psalm 72. And then also in Isaiah 53, he says that he's also a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and forsaken of men. How do you fulfill both of those at the same time? Kings bow down, but he's forsaken by men. This is our Jesus. 
Jesus fulfilled them all. Can you even imagine and grasp the amazingness of this? You see, everything in Jesus we see fulfilled that God spoke of by the prophets. In you, Jesus, we discover everything that God had always intended us to be from the beginning of creation fulfilled in who you are. If we want to look at what we should have been, he's it. He fulfilled everything. And that's why he could say, I've done everything according to your law and prophets. It is finished. It is finished. Well, the next thing he says, though, is not where prophecies and promises totally finished, but the sacrificial system that the Jewish people had been given by Moses and had been using actually all the way from Abel through Abraham to Moses and to the present day was abolished. You see, if you could look back into this Jewish sacrificial system that God said was necessary because with shedding of blood there was no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. And God said, this is how we're going to cover your sin, Israel. We're going to have sacrificial system. So we're going to need the things like sacrificing lambs and goats and rams and bulls and turtle doves every day. Morning, evening, Passover, guilt offerings, fellowship offerings, sin offerings. It was an incredibly bloody business and it seemed to never end. When was it over? When could I stop shedding blood? Well, we know that our sin be permanently atoned by goats or by bulls or by rams or by an animal or even by your own blood. You dying will not pay for your sin. Only Jesus' blood will pay for sin. So here's what happened. We're, we're hopeless. We see every year after year after year after year after year the high priest would slaughter the lamb, go behind the veil, go to the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that sins of the nation could be covered for one more year. But it never ended. But wait, but wait. Someone came into the picture and stood there. Our new high priest. Jesus stood in the gap. And what happened? What was he dressed? Was he dressed like the Levitical priest with his pretty robe and his jewels on his breast? No. Only thing he was arrayed in was a battered human form. That was his dress. There he stood. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. The cross was his altar. His own body was the sacrifice. And no Levitical priest could have made that offering to God. So he stood in his own, as his own priest, offering his own body. And it says that he took his own blood and sprinkled it, as it were, beyond the heavenly veil. And that one sprinkling, that one offering of Christ paid the sin debt forever. The sacrifices were abolished. It was done. Jesus enters back into earth. The lights are back on now. And he says to an astounded earth and an expectant heaven. It is finished! I'm done! The debt has been paid. The sacrifices are over. The blood can stop. My blood was all that was needed. Wow. The very reason he came to earth was completed. 
and perfectly accomplished. It is finished. Well, his perfect obedience was finished. We, we knew that when he cried, it is finished. There was something else missing. You see, no one can see God's face unless they be perfectly righteous. So how are you doing? Maybe you might say, I'm righteous. But how about that perfectly righteous? Never failing. See, Jesus' death on the cross took, took care of our sin penalty. But we needed something else. And it was his perfectly lived life that gives us the something else. He lived a perfect, righteous life. And why did he do that? For us. He was our substitute. We never could. I mean, Romans 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. So if you thought you were the exception this morning, I'm sorry to let you know there are none. Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice and the only person who has perfectly completed the law. See, if you wanted to know what a man completely dedicated to the law of God and the love of God and his law, Jesus is that man. See, he's not only our model, he's our substitute. I just think this, his obedience completed was completed. And what completed Jesus' obedience? See, Jesus lived a completely obedient life from beginning to end. And when he was done, he could say, I'm finished with my obedience. He's the only one that could ever say that. And what finished his obedience? Death, even death on a cross. He was obedient from beginning to end. I think there's one thing we need to see here. Spurgeon said it, and I'm going to quote it because I can't say it better. Brothers and sisters, this finished obedience and more than you is more than you and I could ever say. Even if Adam had never fallen, if today we lived with Adam in the Garden of Eden, we could never boast of a finished righteousness, since as creatures we could never finish our obedience to God. As long as a creature lives, it is bound to obey. And as long as a person has free will and they exist on earth, they would be in danger of violating that vow of obedience. If Adam had been in paradise from the first day until even today, he could fall tomorrow. But Christ, the creator who finished creation, has perfected redemption and God can ask no more. The law has received all of its claims. The largest extent of justice cannot demand another hour of obedience. It is done. It is completed. The last weaving of the robe of righteousness is complete from top to bottom. Let us rejoice in this, that the master meant by his dying cry was his perfect righteousness wherewith he covers us now was finished. Can you hear it? Christian, can you hear it? There's nothing lacking in your and my righteousness anymore. We are clothed in the perfectly spotless robe of righteousness that Jesus earned. There's nothing we can add. It is finished. The satisfaction to the justice of God was finished. 
In Hebrews 10.10 it tells us that the atonement and propitiation of the world was made by Christ once for all forever. And it says this, By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ on the cross once for all. God's sword of justice has been sheathed. Jesus drank the cup of wrath destined for us completely. There's not a drop left. There's not a drop left for his redeemed saints. God's punishment for our sin fell entirely on Jesus alone. There are no longer any blows that God has reserved for you or me or for any redeemed saint because it's 100% unleashed on Jesus. There's not a blow. There's not a whipping. There's not a condemnation. There's nothing that's been reserved for you or me. Nothing. What does that mean? Romans 8.1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Jesus took it all. That is finished. See, some might say, well, I'd rather pay my own debt in hell. I'd rather play and party, and I'll party there too. They don't know that hell is a place of suffering. They don't believe that. But even if they did, there's something they need to know. Regardless of the ages, the endless ages of torment that they might suffer, that person would never be able to say what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. That is an eternal debt. It will never be paid. It's sorrowful. It should sober us. When we are witnessing to those who are headed for hell, they are headed for a place that will never be finished. It should make us scared. It should make us want to reach out and preserve them. They said tackle them before they fall over the edge. Right? They're headed for some place that the debt will never be paid. But because what Jesus said and accomplished, we have a finished work. Well, the defeat of Satan and sin and death was finished. He totally destroyed the power of Satan, of sin, and of death. See, of sin, it was our sins that nailed him to the cross, right? But you know what he did? He nailed our sins to the cross as well. And they bother us no more. Haven't you heard the song, Our sins have nailed to the cross and we bear it no more? He set us free from the power of sin forever. He said when he got back from heaven, he says, It is finished. Sin is no longer their master. They have been set free. It is finished. Sin's reign is over. He did the same for Satan. I'm sure Satan threw everything he could at Jesus on the cross. And he might have even thought, Hey, I thwarted God's plan. I eliminated their Messiah. I got rid of him. But little did he know. If he only knew that killing Jesus destroyed him. Jesus' death was his death now. Jesus conquered Satan took him captive, chained him to his chariot. And just like the Romans, it says in Ephesians 4.8, he drug him through the cities of heaven, as it were, as a conquered foe. Satan is a conquered foe. That's what Jesus said. It is finished. Satan is conquered. He is no longer your master. You've been set free. Well, the last thing is death and hell. Well, it says in, in uh, Revelation... 
118. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. At the cross, Jesus purchased the keys for the grave and for death. Who owns them now? Jesus is entirely in charge and 100% in control of death. There's not one person that's going to die a moment earlier or later than his design plan because he holds the key. He's responsible. Did you know that we will not die, we will not have our end occur one moment before. Not because of Satan, not because of demons, not because of wars, not because of evil men, not because of disease, accident, famine, anything will take us out of his control. Our deaths are regulated one and only by Christ. You're indestructible till Jesus wants you home. Period. He holds the keys. In fact, it says he's turned the grave instead of a place of mourning, sadness, and darkness into a hotel for those who sleep in Jesus. It's like he'll light up the graveyard one day. He'll turn that key that he owns on the grave and says, Everybody up! Wake up! I'm taking you home. He has the keys of hell and the grave. And he conquered that. And he says when he got on that cross, do you know what people? It is finished. Sin's tyranny. Satan's rule. And your fear of death, I own it all. It's finished. Can you believe that? Can you believe that today? Shouldn't that give you boldness to live in this fearful world? This world is full of stuff. The list that I gave you and more. But Jesus is still in charge. Well, the last thing is our thirst is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant that the work had been done so that man's eternal thirst could be quenched. You know, Jesus often used thirst in his description of something more, a spiritual condition with the people that he spoke with. In John seven thirty seven, we read it before. Now on the last greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In John six thirty five, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Do you think he's talking about water? I hope not, because I think we all need water. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the thirst of our soul. See, I think in the hearts of all men, there is a thirst for something. And Jesus said it's a thirst for God. We have a thirst for God. We miss our Creator. See, some of us are so dehydrated, we don't even read the signals right. Some of us, even in our own physical lives, when we get dehydrated, think we're going to solve the problem by eating a donut. We're actually thirsty, but we have this hunger going on, but we don't realize it's water, so we eat a donut. Or maybe we'll distract ourselves into not thinking about it. This is what the world does with this hunger of the soul. They want to distract it and feed it something that's not God. I'm going to feed it anything. Uh, How about sex? How about power? How about money? How about position? Um, Maybe I'll just go so fast in my life. It's none of those things, but I'll go so fast and have my head so full of stuff that I will never think about it. 
What do you think? I mean, electronics today are both good and bad, are they not? But if you never give yourself a chance to think, I think it's bad. God wants us to ponder. He says, consider. Number your days. Think about it. This life is going to be over soon. What are you thinking about? Man, I've got that news feed going. And I can be just as guilty as any of you. It came with a, as an app to my new phone. I never used to look at my phone at all. But man, when I start reading about Ukraine and Steph Curry and... But it's distracting. Is it? Well, so here it is. We miss our relationship with God. And when Jesus said, I thirst, one of the first things he said, he was in the dark. He was separated from his father in loneliness. He was in pain. Does that sound like hell to you? I think it does. Jesus tasted hell for us. He drank it to the bottom. And he says now to us, I've been there. I know what you need. And you need me. I can satisfy that thirst. The same thirst that I had when I was on the cross, when I was separated from my father, and I tasted the pain and anguish of that thirst, just like Lazarus and the rich man who begged Lazarus to come and put a drop of water on his tongue because he was thirsty. Jesus emerged from this trial and says, I'm thirsty, and I know what it is for you to be thirsty, and I can help. I can be that drink that you need that will satisfy forever. Jesus said, your thirst is finished if you come to me. Well, what do we do? We only have a few minutes to talk about it, but I think it'll be enough. You know, Jesus said it's finished, but we're not finished. We're not a, we're not a finished product, nor are we finished in the work that we need to do. Valley Bible Church is not finished. We have a work to do. His redemptive work is accomplished. We need to tell people that his redemptive work is accomplished. So thing one we need to do is proclaim it. We need to proclaim to people that are trapped. It is finished. Try no more. I mean there are people right now that are trapped in self-abasement. In pain. Think if they suffer a little more. If they cry a little more. If they bleed a little more. By self-denial. Self-abasement. By fasting. By misery. They can achieve some sort of an atonement before a holy God. They can stop. It is finished. Every pain that God required has been borne by Christ. They need to suffer none. They just need to come. Just like Jesus said just come the pain has been taken the debt been paid just come well we must also as believers well let me just back up one because I don't want to leave you guys out I do think there's another group of people and you may not be in it or you might be in it it's the group of the religious and they think that maybe they can get a little more acceptable to God because they think by their religiousness by their gifts, by their money by their prayers, by their fasting by their vows, by their church goings by their service, by their baptisms by their confirmations, by their communions, they believe they can make themselves fit and acceptable to God. It's an anathema no they cannot these things are not things that come to pay for our salvation 
our service, our giving, our love comes because of our love and, and gratitude to a holy God who has done it all for us. It pays zero toward our salvation. We need to say, God, thank you for what you've done. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Which is my second point. Because I think you might find yourself in the group of the religious. I see too many believers that are too unsure about their salvation. They're trying to do a little more to make sure that God really accepts them. That they can't maybe fully trust that the work has been done. And so what they do is they put on the robes of Christ's righteousness and they append to it and pin to it their works of service, their sacrifices as filthy rags on the outside of the robe. Don't do that, please. Please don't do that. Rest in his finished work. Live like you're saved, but don't live to be saved. You got it? live like you're saved but do not use your life to earn salvation to make God love you a little more God will never on your worst day God will love you just as much as he did when you were a sinner when he bought you and when he takes you home on your worst day not your best we can't we Christians if we are not the ones who live like we believe this how is the world ever going to believe us We're not going out into the world pretending to be perfect. We go out in the world saying, man, if God can save a wretch like me, I know he can reach you too. Right? That's what this is about. Well, lastly, I just want to say, if you don't know Jesus yet, you've heard about him, you've listened, you maybe you wanted to pay that debt in hell yourself. You've thought about it. And you know you're tired. You've tried just about everything that the world has to offer. Nothing has satisfied. If you're thirsty right now, Jesus calls you to come. That's what he calls you to do. It says in Isaiah 55, Ho, everyone that was thirsty, come to the water, and you who have no money, buy and eat. Now on the last day of the feast, we read it before, Jesus stood and says, If anyone's thirsty, what's the answer? Come. Just Come. Believe in me. That's what come means. Come doesn't mean to stand next to me. It means put your faith in me. That's it. Come as you are. See, the hymn Rock of Ages has a line in it that I love. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. So if you're tired of your thirst, you're tired of your emptiness, you're tired of your sin, you're tired of your meaningless comings, goings, getting ups, going to bed, Nothing matters. Life. You have an inner thirst that hasn't been quenched. Jesus just says, just like you are, come. You don't have to bring me anything. The bill's already been paid. The banquet's been set. Your ticket's reserved. You owe nothing. Just come. Just come. Wow. Wow. When Jesus satisfies and quenches our thirst, we know that he paid the ultimate price for you and I to just come as we are. I would encourage you if you don't know Jesus. I would beg you on Christ's behalf, please come. Don't wait. Don't wait.
Don't wait another moment. You may not have another moment. Come. Well, the religions of the world, they say, do. There's a lot of things you got to do to please God. There's a lot of things you got to do to earn favor with God. Christianity says, done. The doing's been done. All you got to do is come. The reservation's been made. All you got to do is come. The banquet's been prepared. All you have to do is come. Do you tired of your sin? Leave it behind and come. See, I would pray as we as believers would hear what Jesus really meant when he shouted to the sky and to heaven. It is finished. We have a finished work that will take us to heaven. We have a finished work that gives us peace with God. We have a finished work that defeats our greatest foes. And we have a finished work that will solve our thirst forever. I hope we just trust that today. Rely, rest in God's finished work. Stop insulting him by trying to add your two cents to what Christ paid. It's an affront. And it's wrong. And it won't help. God just wants you to come. And a believer, he just wants you to rest. Did you know that? Rest in him. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you more to do. I will give you rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ. And person without Christ, I would just say, do not wait another minute. Jesus says, come. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your work on the cross. Father, we know that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. And we'll hear all about that next week. But I thank you that the debt has been fully paid. Across my, Father, I can't even believe it. Across my record that would have earned the death sentence is written across in the blood of my Savior. Tetelestai, paid in full. Can I believe it, Jesus? Thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for saving for rescuing. May we not change what you've done by trying to add to it, but just rest and proclaim it and tell others that the doing's been done. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin might have left a crimson stain, but he can wash it white as snow. Thank you for your grace and thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I would just ask, thank you. If anybody doesn't know Jesus, please come down and talk to us. Do not leave this building. I implore you, do not leave. The debt's been paid. You need to know. You need to be set free. You're dismissed.